Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. But we are covering two feasts tonight. So if you don't like the first one, there's another one coming after it. So, it, you know, if, if it's not going well, just hold on and we'll, we'll get there eventually. But uh, the feasts, we talked about this. They are parties with a purpose, parties with a purpose. And they show us three things. They show us reflection, celebration and expectation. So let's pray over tonight's teaching and just invite uh, the Lord's presence in. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, your word is so rich. Uh, God, it has so much meaning and power. And Lord, you are the true teacher. You've wrote these things. And as we discover uh, and study unleavened bread and the day of atonement, Lord, I just pray that you would open all of our hearts. God, you'd open all of our minds. Help us to understand and see as you have written. Because God, we know this is the power to change lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's get started with our double header tonight. Any baseball fans in the house? That, well, there's a World Series on tonight, so I guess the baseball fans aren't here, but maybe they're watching this online. Uh, do you have this with you? Did you been bringing this? Y'all been filling this out? Man, that's pretty good. We got to wave it around. Like, Holy Ghost. All right. So we're going to be finishing this handout off. And so I want you to look at the inside cover where you see these feasts. And so we are going to cover unleavened bread. That is the middle feast in the springtime early harvest. And then we're going to finish with the day of atonement, which is the middle feast in the late harvest. So just a quick recap. We see that all of these feasts are grouped in three, one, three. Three, one, three. And each of these groupings have a meaning. Not only do the groupings have a meaning, but the individual feasts themselves have a meaning. And so we talked about Passover. So if you're looking at a calendar, Passover happens, then the next day unleavened bread starts, then the next day first fruits starts. And so what happens is, is you have three festivals or three feasts back to back. And so typically uh, the Jews will celebrate all of these three at the same time over a period of about eight or nine days. And so let's dive into where unleavened bread started. So the context, it starts and it's connected to the story of Passover. And so Pastor Mike kicked off the series a while back talking about Passover and the 10 plagues of Egypt. And so God's people was in slavery in Egypt and God sent a series of plagues. He sent 10 plagues and the final plague was the final straw. And Pharaoh decides after 10 plagues to let God's people go. Let's pick up in Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. So this is what's happening on the night of Passover. The firstborns um, have been killed. And so, uh, what happens is Pharaoh summons Moses to him. It says this in verse 31. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night. And he said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. And he said this. He said, bless me also. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, 
just by you leaving, I'm going to be better off. Anybody ever left your life and you were just a little bit better off when they were gone? He said, hey, bless me. Get out of here. Verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls uh, being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. So unleavened bread, and this is important, you're going to want to write this down. It represents two things, two things. First is pace. This is all about speed. God was getting his people out of Egypt as fast as possible. They didn't even have time to let the leaven set in the bread and for it to lump up. God said, get out and get out quick. So it's all about the speed of the exodus. But the second thing that it represents is not only pace, but perfection. Perfection. So what's going to happen biblically from this point forward is you're going to see that unleavened bread. It's called matzah. It represents a life without sin. In fact, the word matzah for matzah bread literally means without sin. And so this is going to become an important picture for the rest of the Bible. That unleavened bread represents both the pace or the quickness of God's redemptive power, but it also represents perfection. Leaven will become synonymous with sin in scripture. And so the Jews, what they would do the night before Passover, the dads would go in the house and they would look for any leftover leaven. They would look for any bread in their house. They would look for breadcrumbs. Maybe some kids drop some behind the counter or wherever. And what they would do, this is important, they would sweep it all up the night before Passover because they did not want a trace of leaven in the house when they went to celebrate the Passover. They would sweep it up. They'd put it in a bag. They'd set it out. And the next morning, they would burn it. They would bag it and they would burn it. Everybody say bag it. Say burn it. They'd bag it and they would burn it. Because when they got to the party, they didn't want anything left over. They didn't want any leaven left over. It reminded me about, uh, any of y'all like to host parties at your house? How many of y'all like hosting parties? How many of y'all like going to parties that other people host? That's more, it's more your speed. I, I'm like the host. You can ask my wife. I love hosting parties. I love people coming over. And so I kind of got this whole thing where I've got to have the house clean. Now, I don't have to have the entire house clean, just the rooms that people are going to see. And me and my wife have different standards on which parts of the house need to be clean. The parts of the house that I want clean, I don't know why. It's just a thing. I want my sink empty. I want the sink empty. I don't want any dirty dishes in the sink. For some reason, it's like, it's like a, somebody's clapping over here. They're feeling it, all right? She wants the bathrooms clean. I don't care about the bathrooms. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm a dude. I don't know, but I don't care. She wants, she wants the bathrooms clean. I'm like, I want the sink clean. And we have four kids. And let me tell you what happens every time. I will start that cleaning process, and there will be nothing in that sink and every 10 minutes, I will walk by, and there will be something new in that sink. And the dishwasher is right there, and the dishwasher has the dirty dishes. They could have just opened the dishwasher and put it in there. You know what I'm talking about? Does anybody else does this drive anybody else nuts? And, and here's the thing. I don't want to trace. I don't want anybody to know we use dishes in my home. 
I want them to think we drink straight from the faucet, all right? We eat with our hands. They can't know these things. And so this is how the fathers were. They were like, look, when we get to the party, there can be no bread in this house. We got to bag it and we got to burn it. So what does this teach us? The faith. What does this teach us? I think it teaches us two super important things. The first thing it teaches us is this, is that sin slows us down. Sin slows us down. You see, God wasn't just trying to rescue the Israelites from something. He was trying to bring them to something. You see, it's not that God just wanted them, wanted them out of Egypt. He wanted them in the promised land. And this is a picture of the Christian experience. God wants to take you from where you are to where he has designed for you. For every single one of us, there is a promised land in Christ, a place in Jesus that God the Father is trying to take us to. And guess what? Sin will slow you down. It will keep you from reaching what God has for you. It'll trip you up. It'll slow you down. You know, I thought about it like this. I've been, over the last, I guess, five years, been having all of these sinus problems. Now, I just thought it's because I lived in South Louisiana. But it started getting worse, and it started getting worse, and so I started seeing these doctors. I actually saw three ENTs. I had to get all kinds of scans done. It was all these issues, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally, I went to the third specialist and he said, we're going we're gonna, to uh, do some allergy tests on you. And so I don't know if you've ever had these sets of tests done. You sit in the chair and then they poke you in the arm with like 15 or 20 different allergens. And then they take pictures of your arm and you just have to wait two days. And then you come back and they tell you what your body reacted to. And after two days... Of all the things in the world, it's so fitting for this message. You know what I was allergic to? Yeast. I literally should be eating matzo bread, but I've been eating regular bread and it's been causing problems. And I thought about it, I was like, you know what's crazy? I thought it was like, you know, what I was breathing in that was affecting my ears, but it was what I was eating. And God showed me that's a picture of how sin works because sin doesn't just stay in one area of your life. It has a spreading power and has an ability to affect all kinds of areas of your life. Sin always grows and it always affects your life and it slows you down. And God is calling us to bag it and burn it. Bag it and burn it. Hey, what is it in your life that's slowing you down? You see, we hang on to our sin and we, we love our sin because we forget that God's taking us somewhere better. He's taking us to a promised land designed for us in Jesus. You see, sin slows us down. The second thing it teaches us is this, is that Jesus keeps us going. Jesus keeps us going. In John chapter six, it's an amazing chapter. And Jesus makes a connection here that is so important, especially when we're studying the unleavened bread. Look at what he says in verse 47 and 48. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. You see, bread is a picture of what we need to survive. See, we can survive on bread and our earthly bodies can find life from it. Well, mine can't, but yours can. 
And Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of your whole life. I'm not just the bread of your physical life. I'm the bread of every part of your life. You see, in the Old Testament, there are two types of bread. There's the matzah and there's the manna, and they both point to Jesus. He's saying, I am the ultimate bread. And you know, next month, we're about to have all of these amazing Christmas services. How many of y'all love Christmas time at HBC? Man, incredible. The worship team just singing the amazing songs. Pastor Mike, candle lighting, all that good stuff. Don't get your hair on fire. He knows what I'm talking about. Inside joke. He'll say it later. You'll, you'll get it on Christmas Eve. And we get this Christmas, and it's all about the story of Jesus' birth, right? What city was Jesus born in? I was asking for real. What You can answer back. It wasn't rhetorical. What city was Jesus born in? Bethlehem. You know, Bethlehem literally means house of bread. He is the bread of life, and he was literally born in a town that means the house of bread. You see, the Christian life is about letting go of our sin, but it's not just letting go of our sin. It's grabbing on to Jesus. Because we're never going to get to the promised land without his presence. We're never going to get to where God wants us in our marriage, where God wants us in our friendships, where God wants us in our careers, where God wants us in every area of our life. We're never going to find the promised land. We'll never become the person that God is calling us to apart from the presence of Jesus. He is that bread. We must consume him every day. He is our daily bread. So what is the fulfillment? Where does this point us? So we talked about how the spring, the early harvest feasts, these pointed to the first coming of Jesus. This pointed to the time when he would come and live. He'd be born in Bethlehem at age 30. He would start his ministry. He would have years of ministry and he would live a perfect life and he would die and he would be resurrected. And we talked about how Passover pointed to Jesus's death. And the first fruits pointed to Jesus's resurrection. What does the unleavened bread point to? It points to Jesus's perfection. It points to Jesus's perfection. You see, he was the unleavened bread. He was the perfect sacrifice. Jesus never sinned. He lived his life in perfect obedience to the Father. Remember we talked about matzah bread. We got a picture of the matzah. Can we throw that picture of the matzah up? You see it? Looks like a cracker, doesn't it? It's because it's unleavened. It is basically a cracker. But you know what's interesting about the matzah bread? Is when they make it, they do two things. They stripe it and they pierce it. Do you see that? They stripe it and they pierce it. And Isaiah said this in Isaiah 53 verse five, it says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And it says by his wounds, that word wounds there literally means stripes. By his stripes, we are healed. You see, Jesus is the matzah. He is the unleavened bread. The matzah, here's a Hamanism. The matzah points us to the Messiah. That wasn't, that wasn't the best Hamanism, but 
my wife liked it. Did you like it, babe? You thought I was good? And she didn't like it. All right, we're good. Okay, we'll move past that one. But 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. He who knew no sin, in other words, he was perfect. He became sin, which means he was treated as us so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is called the great exchange. You see, Jesus took on your sin and you took on his perfection. And so as a believer in Christ, you stand before the Father unleavened, no sin, it's gone forever. God sees you as he sees Jesus. Come on, that's good news, you better clap for that. Because you couldn't earn it, you don't deserve it, but it's grace. It's grace. On the cross hung the sinless, striped, pierced Son of God. That's the unleavened bread. All right, how are we doing? We doing good? Y'all enjoying this? Y'all feeling this? All right, all right, it's kind of, all right, so it's halftime. Take me out to the ball game, seven inning stretch, all right. You know, how about this? Let's do this, let's take one second, everybody just kind of stretch. Okay, we got one feast to go. One feast to go, and this is my favorite feast. It is the Day of Atonement. So let's take a look back at our uh, handout here. So the late harvest, there are three feasts, the trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and tabernacles. Trumpets, Pastor Mike taught us this, it kicks off a 10-day period of repentance. And it culminates on the 10th day on what's known as the Day of Atonement. And five days after that is the tabernacles. And so you can see all of this is happening in a 15 day period. So where did this start? Where did the day of atonement start? Well, it started back in Leviticus chapter 16. Let's read verse two, and then we're going to jump down to verse 17. Verse two says this, and the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Verse 17 says, no one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made an atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. The Jewish name for the Day of Atonement is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Yom meaning day, and Kippur means atonement, or another way to say it is covering. It's the Day of Covering. And this is actually a callback to the garden. In the garden, you see, when man first sinned, all of a sudden, he realized he was naked. And you know what he did? He tried to cover his own nakedness. Remember this, they took some fig leaves and made the worst fashion choice of all time and tried to assemble this clothing for themselves. And they tried to cover their nakedness because what sin does, it does two things. It exposes us and it separates us from God. It exposes us and it separates us from God. 
and man has been trying to cover himself with fig leaves for thousands of years. You know, I was thinking about the whole idea about covering, and uh, I want to tell you all about a time in my marriage where we didn't, we, didn't, we almost didn't make it. It was a hard time. It was the first year of our marriage, and I discovered something about myself. I am what one would call a cover hog or like a blanket hog. So apparently, through no fault of my own, when I sleep at night, I pull the blanket and I wrap myself in a cocoon like a butterfly. (laughs) And so I would wake up in the middle of the night to my wife yanking the blanket off of me and yelling at me, I'm cold. And this went on for a long time and we prayed about it. We sought counseling and sat down with Pastor Mike and Rachel and just asked for wisdom and guidance. And we discovered that it's okay to have two separate blankets. So right now we have one bed, but two blankets and they're identical blankets. You can't tell the difference between them. Well, she can tell the difference. One, one is more torn than the other. One's been wrapped in a cocoon shape more than the other, but nobody likes to be uncovered, right? we like to, I like to snuggle up. I mean, I want to get covered up, right? I, that's how you sleep. You're more comfortable. You see, we all need a covering and What would happen is this, Aaron, this guy, Aaron, this is Moses' brother. He is the first of what would be known as the high priest. The high priest is one individual selected by God. This high priest had a unique role. He would go into a place called the Holy of Holies. Now, Pastor Mike showed us this picture. We could throw it up on the screen. This is a picture of uh, what's called the tabernacle, or another way to say it is the tent of meeting. And so the Israelites... This was the center of their community. And so you can see the outer border and then you see the sanctuary. At the very back of that tent was a special room called the Most Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. It's known as the holiest place on earth because it's where God's manifested presence dwells. His what's called the Shekinah glory of God would dwell there. But here's the thing. Nobody could ever go in there. In fact, he says right there in the verses we read, Aaron cannot go in there. Even as the high priest, he cannot go in there or he's going to die. Except on one day every single year. On Yom Kippur, he can go in as the high priest and he must bring a sacrifice to cover the sins of the people. You see, he was in the work of covering. His job was in the work of covering. Now, here's what's crazy. What were the people doing during this time? They weren't allowed in the tent at all. They had to stand on the outside. I want you to imagine, place yourself in their shoes or their ancient sandals. Think about it. You're standing on the outside of this tabernacle. And there's one guy out of everybody on one day who gets to go in to a place that you can't go and perform a work that you can't perform to a God you can't see. 
And if he doesn't do his job, you get judged for it. All of the sins that you've committed, you have to pay back for. You ever been in a situation like that where you needed somebody to do their job like really bad? That's why I don't like riding in planes. I remember coming back from our honeymoon and we were in some of the worst turbulence I'd ever seen in my life. And I just remember thinking, if that guy doesn't know what he's doing, if he doesn't know how to handle this turbulence, we're all gone. You ever been dependent on someone like a surgeon or a, you know, a doctor? You just, you need somebody else to do their job because you can't do it. I got a haircut yesterday. My boy Keenan cut my hair. I needed him to do it so I'd look okay up here, Keenan. Thank you, did a great job, Keenan. Because I can't cut my own hair. No, I, I guess I could, but it wouldn't look this good. You know what I'm talking about? We need other people all the time. And this high priest would go in one day a year. He's got one shot and you just hope it worked because you don't want to have to pay for your sins. And this Yom Kippur would happen year after year after year until AD 70. Because what happened in AD 70? You see, Jesus predicted this event. The temple was destroyed in AD 70. And since then, there's been no high priest and there's been no Yom Kippur. And so every year on this day, Jews will gather and they will usually go to the synagogue and they will just pray the whole day. They'll pray and they'll just hope that God covers their sin. They'll just hope that God forgives, but they don't have a high priest. They don't have somebody going in for them. So what does this teach us? As Christians, I've got one thing for you, but it's the most important thing I'll say this entire night. It teaches us that Christ is our covering. Christ is our covering. Two of my favorite verses in the entire New Testament. Hebrews chapter nine, verses 11 through 12. It says, but when Christ appeared as what? High priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. You see, the most important moment in your salvation, you didn't see it. I want you to think about this. The tabernacle, this building that was constructed that God gave Moses the specifications for, it was a tiny, earthly, miniature version of a heavenly place that wasn't created by human hands. There was a heavenly tabernacle. There was a heavenly tent. There was a heavenly holy of holy, holy of holies where God's Shekinah glory dwells in its fullness. And only Jesus, our high priest, could go into that place. But what's even more wild is he didn't just go as the high priest. He went as the sacrifice itself. Yeah. 
He went where we couldn't go to do what we couldn't do. And what does it say happened? What was the result of this work of Christ? Eternal redemption. You see, Adam tried to cover himself. Eve, she tried to cover herself. They, they formulated some kind of fig bikini, all right? And it didn't work. And so God came. God came to them and he said, this isn't gonna work. And the first death in the Bible came from God. He sacrificed an animal and he used that animal to cover their nakedness. Because this was God previewing the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate covering. You see what happened on that day that Jesus hung on the cross, it says that when he died, this veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, it was torn in two. It was torn from top to bottom, meaning from heaven to earth, because he ascended into the real holy place and he presented himself as the sacrifice, as our high priest. He went there and the father accepted it and he tore that curtain to prove it. It is the proof that we have eternal redemption. So where is this pointing us? So the early harvest feasts, they all pointed to the first coming of Jesus. The mid-harvest feasts, they pointed to the age of the church. This is where we are living right now. But the late harvest feasts, they all point to what's going to happen in the future. Things that have not yet come to pass. See, the fall, they show us about the second coming of Christ. And trumpets, we talked about the trumpets a few weeks ago. This previewed an event called the rapture. And then tabernacles previewed the coming kingdom. So we have this timeline. Can we throw the timeline up? So you see the rapture, that's all about Jesus returning for the church. This is about the church and Jesus reuniting. And there are three options for when this could take place. We don't really know because it's in the future <laughs> and the Bible isn't clear on when it's gonna happen. But I am inclined to believe like Pastor Mike that this rapture event will happen before the tribulation period. So we know that there is a future event and it's going to last seven years and it is called the tribulation. And this tribulation is all about Israel. You see, Israel has been unfaithful in their covenantal promises. And so God in Deuteronomy 28 and 29 tells them that he will, because of their unfaithfulness, he will pour out his wrath upon them. And that is what the tribulation is. It is seven years. And then Jesus is going to return. You see, Jesus' return is not about you or me. It's about Israel. You see, the rapture, that's about you and me. And we don't know when that's gonna happen. Nobody knows the date or the hour, but we know when the second coming is. The second coming is seven years after the tribulation starts. And when Jesus returns, 
He's gonna return and he's gonna save Israel from the, from the Antichrist and he will set up his kingdom for a thousand years. And after that thousand years, there'll be a judgment and there'll be a new heavens and there'll be a new earth. And then we don't really know a whole lot about what happens past that. But what we do know is that there's no more pain and there's no more suffering. There's no more tears. But what does the atonement point to? It points to this. It points to the return of Israel to Jesus. The return of Israel to Jesus. I want you to think about how wild this is. 500 years, 538 years to be exact, before Christ comes, there was a prophet named Zechariah. And Zechariah begins preaching to the people and he begins to tell them, hey, the Messiah will come one day. The Messiah will come and he will be like a shepherd. But when he comes, he will be rejected by his own people. He will be rejected and he will be killed. And the prophet tells the people that after this happens, there will be a break in two things, the favor on the people and the union between the people and God. In other words, there's going to be this distance between Israel and God, but it's only for a little while. It's only for a time, because in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, this is what the day of atonement points to. It says this, and I will pour out on the house of David, which are the Jews, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. You see that word pierced? Isn't that amazing? 500 years before the crucifixion, you see, Jesus, he was pierced on his crown from a crown of thorns, right? On his brow. He was pierced in his hands and his feet with nails. And then he was pierced in his side with a spear. There's coming a moment. And if you're looking at your timeline, when is that moment? That moment is the moment right before the second coming. Paul tells us about this moment in Romans chapter 11. You see, after seven years of tribulation and the Antichrist's rise to power, Israel will finally have that light bulb moment. God will pour his grace upon Israel and they will realize that their Messiah did come and they had killed him and they will mourn, they will weep, and they will know that they pierced the one who came to save them. But it doesn't end there. They're gonna cry out to him. They're gonna cry out. And Jesus, their king, with the trumpet blast shall return. And the Bible says we will be with him as his bride 
and he will come and he will destroy the antichrist and he will rescue his people from annihilation. And finally, God will be with his people. And Pastor Mike said it so beautifully this past Sunday, that has always been the heart of God. His heart has always been to be with his people. And so we have a lot of things to look forward to. There are a lot of things that have not yet happened, but we trust and we believe and we look to heaven and we know this, that God wants to be with us. And we push past our sin. We let go of our, of our sin. We know it's slowing us down. There's a promised land for each of us and it's only found in our daily bread, Jesus. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.